Good morning, good morning. I just want to uh, kind of echo what Dave said. If this is your first time here this morning, uh, you're so welcome uh, to the gathering at Viridian. And my name is Ryan, and I'm the youth pastor at this church. So uh, usually they, well, they, they, they've tried to schedule me a couple times, but, uh, you know, I just kind of keep pushing it off and pushing off because ironically, you know, being up here on stage, I, I can be up here on stage and sing almost every week. Um, but, and, and, and have almost no nerves, but when it comes to speaking, that's how I get. So, uh, so bear with the nerves this morning. Um, so we'll, see, we'll just kind of see how this goes, and hopefully it goes all right. So if I come back and speak, then you'll know it's all right. If not, then, then you'll still know. So, um, so as you can see, uh, I, was, I, I named this, uh, this message, The Furious Longing of God. And it's based on a book uh, by uh, an author named Brennan Manning. And this is a book, it's only maybe 130 pages, um, but it's, made, it's taken me maybe six months to get 100 pages. And uh, it's not because I'm that bad of a reader, uh, at least I hope so, or I hope not. Um, but it's because it's one of those books that you, 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 you go and read, and you can't read too much. Um, because you, you take a few paragraphs, and there's always something that God's speaking. Um, so it's one of those books that if I get the opportunity to go to a coffee shop, um, I'll take it with me. And uh, it's kind of a de- devotional type book for me. And, man, the Lord just really speaks to me through that. And, and so it's kind of my inspiration for my talk this morning. And as you can see, the subtitle says, Rekindling the Flame. Anybody need to rekindle the flame? No, don't answer that. Just... If your husband or wife's next to you, don't answer that question. We can come and receive some prayer later. Um, but I will say, if anybody just needs a flame, you know, that, no? Okay. <laughs> All right, that's just me. Uh, it's a tough crowd, tough crowd. All right, I wrote those jokes into this, you know, try to, if I can get JJ to laugh, I'll be good. So, I'm so far, I'm so far so good. So, uh, yeah, but this morning we're going to do a deep dive uh, into how we can rekindle an old flame. Um, and this is, this is an old flame that's been placed inside of our hearts. It's been placed inside of our souls since um, before we were born. God's Word says that He knew us uh, before we were knit in, in, in our mother's womb. And so it's this old flame that, uh, that, 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 that we need, that's been lost, and, it's been, and we need to rekindle it. And so as I was researching, rekindling, uh, funny enough, I just looked at the definition, and I get to use this little clicker, and I looked at rekindle, and, and it, the, the quick word association that I, that I make when I hear the word rekindle is fire, right? Maybe a lot of you guys, you know, when you hear rekindle, you think flame. Um, and so you have the first word, it says relight, like relight a fire. But I was astonished at the second word, and it really excited me, honestly, to, to see this word revive as something that has been lost, reviving something that has been lost. Um, and just using the examples that, that the dictionary uh, gave me, I say, it says, he tried to rekindle their friendship, or the photos rekindled memories. And, uh, and that second one um, made me think of, about the Bible and how the Bible is almost like these, fo- these photographs. They're reminders of of, uh, of these promises that God's given us. They're reminders of, of things that, is, that God has spoken to us. Uh, they're reminders of what God has done. And they rekindle these old memories. And it's almost like 
uh, there's something that our soul is longing for, and it's something that our soul is kind of being rekindled. Whenever we dig into God's Word, every time I dig into God's Word, every time I do a deep dive in a, in a, and I study His Word, man, there's something that begins to come alive, and there's something that uh, my heart just resonates with when I do that. And, uh, and I think it's cool. Um, so when we look at rekindling an old flame, that means that there's, there had to have been a flame there to begin with. Um, so we're going to jump back to the beginning. Dum, dum, dum. Genesis 3, verses 8 to 10. You have your Bibles. You can read in there or you can read along with me here. It says, And they, being Adam and Eve, heard the sound of, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Um, and when we look at this passage, this is, this is giving us an insight into a moment where, uh, where Adam and Eve were in communion. They were in a relationship with God. They were in this garden every single day having this relationship with God. I mean, imagine God commissioned Adam to name the animals of the earth. And whatever Adam said it, whatever Adam said it was, that's what it was. And so you see God has this trusting relationship with Adam. He's got this trusting relationship with Eve. And then you see this, uh, this tragic moment where, uh, where Adam and Eve kind of, they break that trust. And so I imagine that, that God would be uh, really sad about this. Um, I, don't know, I, I don't know if I would say he was upset as much as he would be sad. Um, but this is where we see the beginning of God's uh, plan for restoration. Now, with Adam and Eve uh, breaking that trust, there had to be some sort of consequence. And so that's when you see God uh, taking Adam and Eve uh, out of the garden and, and commissioning, commissioning them to subdue the earth and multiply and all that stuff. Um, and that, that's when sin, or sin entered into the world. Um, but what we begin to see is right in that moment, God, God doesn't just cast them out, but he begins his, rest, his plan for restoration just right away. And what he does is he, he begins to uh, build a, his law. He, he gives his people uh, his law to follow, um, but it's not enough. He, 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 he has individuals that he speaks to in order to speak to his people. He has individuals that he speaks to in order to influence uh, a nation to hopefully... Uh, come back to God and hopefully have that intimate relationship with Him, but it's not enough. And I don't think that's a surprise to God, but I think it's just simply just a reminder of, of what it takes. And I think God was hoping that His people would turn to Him. Excuse me. I need some water. I think that's better. I think God was, was hoping that his people would turn to him and, and, and long to be with him. But what we see is there's only these individuals. You have these prophets. You have these judges. And, uh, and, and that's pretty much the extent of how God is talking to his people. That's the extent of an intimate relationship with, that we see within the Old Testament. Um, and that's where you get all these awesome stories of these heavenly encounters that these individuals have because it's just them. 
right? It's not a, an entire nation, whereas the nation experiences great things, but it's primarily that individual where you see, you know, Noah, walk, it says in the word, Noah walked with God, or Moses uh, being high on a mountain and encountering God. But you, it's just these individuals. Um, but then Jesus came and fulfilled the law. And this phrase, Jesus fulfilled the law, has always been kind of a confusing phrase for me. It's been one of those things that it's like, well, why not just do away with the law and just Jesus be Jesus? Um, But but when I'm looking at what Jesus actually did and when he fulfilled the law, when he's on the cross about to die and he's taking his last breaths and then he finally takes his last breath, you see the earthquakes and then what happens in the Holy of Holies in the temple, you see this veil torn from top to bottom and this doorway is open. And I think in this moment, um, I don't know if this is what it means that Jesus fulfilled the law, but I think that in this moment, this is the fulfilling of what God's plan was all along. It was this opening, not only to individual people, but to a nation and to an entire world. It's opening, opening up the door for the possibility of people having a personal encounter, an intimate relationship with God. And when we, when we look at Jesus' life, we see that Jesus demonstrated what a life fulfilling the law and having an intimate relationship with the Father actually looked like. We see Jesus spending time, going and spending time on the mountain on his own with the Father and, and cultivating that relationship. But then we see Jesus also going and sitting with taxpayers and, and people with disease and people who are considered unholy or lower class. Um, for example, we see in Luke 15, uh, it says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him uh, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And from there, you see uh, Jesus start speaking into these parables about, you know, parables like the prodigal son. And, uh, and we talked about that this, this last Wednesday at Youth and how uh, you know, people can r- run away, but God is always going to accept them back. And then you have the, the, the older son who's upset and angry that the father just openly receives his son. So I imagine the Pharisees can relate to the older brother, and the sinners can relate to the prodigal son. And Jesus speaking right into that, and not backing down from, uh, from what these Pharisees are thinking, or even saying. And then we back up a little bit and look at in uh, Luke 10 with the story of Mary and Martha. And it says, And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which, which will not be taken away from her. I think um, this particular story was highlighted to me because you see Mary's heart to, to, to be drawn to Jesus, to, to be around Jesus because he incorporated everything that it was to, for, to be God in flesh. And she wanted to know more of who he was. He, she wanted to know more of his character and who he was, and, 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 and Jesus at that time would call these people, uh, he would call their purpose out of them. And then when I went back and I reread 
uh, Luke 15, I noticed a kind of a, a, a small difference. Um, it says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. But then you see the difference in how the Pharisees see it, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. Um, I think I was, for, for whatever reason in my head, I had this perspective that Jesus went to the people, but the people were actually drawn to Jesus. And then I, I, I see that uh, compared with Mary and Martha and how Mary is drawn to Jesus and she just wants to be at Jesus' feet and just wants to learn from him. She wants to be with him. She wants to have that intimate relationship. And, and, and I thought, man, God, I want to be like these sinners. I want to be like these people of the, old, of, 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 of the Bible that were with Jesus that are drawn to them. From wherever I'm at, I want to be drawn to Jesus and, be, and not carry that shame of, you know, I don't want to be around Jesus because he's going to judge me or anything like that. But I want to be around Jesus because he calls me to a higher place. And I've noticed time and time again, anytime that somebody comes around Jesus and, and, and simply wants to know him, he doesn't call them to stay in the same place. He always calls them to a higher place. He always calls a higher purpose out of them. And, 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 and people are drawn to those that invest in, in, in them. I'm drawn to people who invest in me. I'm drawn to people who bring out the best in me. It's, uh, it, it reminds me um, of a time when I was in Colombia uh, on mission trip, uh, not just a trip, but living on mission for a year. And, you know, people have asked me, hey, how was Colombia? That sounds cool, all this. And I usually tell them, hey, yeah, it was great. Started a coffee shop. It was fun. Um, but I don't typically tell them the part where, um, where the team fell apart. And the, the mission itself was uh, deemed a failure six months in. Um, and it's one of those things that, that uh, when, when you're called out of, of working in a coffee shop and, and you're meeting with the leader and he says, your time's gone. Your time's done here. Um, you don't have a heart for ministry. You obviously don't want to be here. Um, it's, you're done with this ministry. And not only are you done with this ministry, I think you should leave Columbia. I don't think you, you, you belong here. And, this, and it's, it, it, it was this heartbreaking moment for me um, with tears flooding down my face. Uh, you know, having to, I, was, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm, I'm obviously done. Um, so, uh, and, and right after that, not 15 minutes after that, I had, uh, I had a, a FaceTime scheduled with a friend, uh, for the first time. And, uh, and we were supposed to start like a mentoring relationship and this was going to be the first one. And, and so I'm like going on the way back to the apartment. I'm like, hold it together, hold it together. Don't let people see you crying. This is hard. And, you know, I just spontaneously burst into tears, but just hold it back, grip it back. And then everything within me, everything within my heart was saying, just reschedule, just reschedule. Like, how are you going to talk to him? And, you know, this is, uh, a, you know, this man is my dad's age. And do you really want him to see you like this? This is the first time you're, you're supposed to FaceTime. Do you want him to see, see you like this? But everything within my spirit was saying, talk to him. You got to talk to him. Um, and so I did, and it was, um, 
And it was excruciating, but it was probably one of the most healing moments and a huge turning point um, in, at that time in my life. Um, I'll get back to that here in a second, but I, I, I want to share another story from this book, The Furious Longing of God. And it's a story uh, of a man named Larry Mullaney. Um, so Larry, this, this, this story takes back in the 1960s, and he's a student at this university uh, where Brennan Manning just gets a job as a professor. And, uh, and Larry comes into uh, Manning's office, and he introduces himself, says, hey, you're the new guy on campus. Uh, just introduce myself. My name's Larry Mullaney. Um, I just want to let you know that I'm agnostic. Um, and Manning's, you know, teaching theology, and he's like, okay, cool. Um, and, and, and Manning goes on to tell this story about something that, that had happened to Larry over Christmas break. And uh, what had happened is, I'll just kind of read along here if you'll bear with me. It says, Christmas came along for Larry Mullaney, and he found himself back with his parents in Providence, Rhode Island. Larry's father is a typical lace curtain Irishman. A lace curtain Irishman, even on the hottest day in summer, will not come to the dining room table without wearing a suit, usually a dark pinstripe, starched white, and his tie swollen at the top. He will, he will never allow his sideburns to grow to the top of his ears, and he always speaks in a low, subdued voice. And, and, and briefly here, Manning describes Larry, uh, his, his appearance. And Larry was this, uh, what Man how Manning describes is um, pretty harsh, but he says it's, he's a, he was a guy who by society standards would have been called ugly. And he was short, extremely obese. He had a terrible case of acne, a bad list, and his hair was growing like Lancelot's horse in four directions at one time. He wore the uniform of the, of the day, a t-shirt that hadn't been washed since the Spanish-American War and jeans with a butterfly on the back, and of course, no shoes. And Manning says, in all my days, I've never met anybody with such low self-esteem. He goes on to describe how Larry, every morning, every time Larry would wake up and look at himself in the mirror, he would spit at it because he just hated the way that he looked. He'd never seen anyone with such low self-esteem. So back to Larry's Christmas break. Larry comes to the dinner table that first night at home, smelling like a billy goat. Uh, he and his father have the usual number of quarrels and reconciliations, and thus begins a typical vacation at the Mullaney household. Several nights later, Larry tells his father that he's got to get back to school the next day. Say, what time, son? Six o'clock. Well, I'll ride the bus with you. The next morning, the father and son rode the bus in silence. They got off the bus as Larry had to catch a second one to, uh, to the airport. Directly across the street at six in the morning, or at, directly across the street at that bus station were six men standing there, um, all men who worked in the same textile factory as Larry's father. And they began making loud, degrading remarks to Larry, saying things like, oink, oink, look at that fat pig. I tell you, if that pig was my kid, I'd hide him in the basement. I'd be so embarrassed. Another said, I wouldn't. If that slob was my kid, he'd be out the door so fast he wouldn't even know if he's on foot or on horseback. Hey, pig, can you give us your best oink? These brutal, 
men continued. Larry told Manning that in, in that moment for the first time in his life, his father reached out and embraced him and kissed him and said, Larry, if your mother and I live to be 200 years old, that wouldn't be long enough to thank God for the gift he gave to us and you. I'm so proud that you're my son. Um, Manning goes on to describe the, the transformation that, that, that happened in, in Larry's life. Now, he, he, he still remained a hippie at heart, and he cleaned up the best he could. Uh, he managed to get a girlfriend, and to top it off, he became the president of one of the fraternities. Um, and on, on top of that, he was, one, he was the first student in that university's history to graduate with a 4.2 grade point average. Um, and then Larry one day came to Manning's office and, and, and asked him to tell him about Jesus. So over the course of six weeks, Manning told Larry about Jesus. And at the end of the six weeks, Larry said, okay, I'm ready. But what, what's, what's incredible about this story is that it wasn't the six weeks that Manning spent with, with Larry. It was that one moment where people were degrading Larry and putting him down. And it was this one moment where his father turned to him and said, I love you. There's nothing that these men can say that, that, that'll make me love you less. And in the midst of the conflict, um, the father didn't turn and speak to the men who were making degrading remarks. He turned and spoke to his son. And he defended him by loving him face to face. And, that, and, 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 and it takes me back to Columbia when I had my first meeting with Robert over FaceTime, that in that moment, um, he didn't speak to what had happened. Um, he didn't say that my leaders were wrong. He just asked me a simple question. And it's, uh, it's a question that I, 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 I want to pose to you this morning, is if Jesus were to walk into the room, what would your reaction be? So after this whole, this moment of, of crying, all these tears, uh, this just difficult moment. If Jesus were to walk into the room right now, Ryan, what would your reaction be? And, and it wasn't, oh, well, I would run to Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being here. It was a, it was a feeling of, of putting my head down in shame, feeling, uh, believing those lies that, that this was a failure, that I am a failure, that it didn't work out um, because, I didn't do, uh, because I did something wrong. So I ask you, what are the lies in your life that you're listening to? What are the lies that you're believing this morning? Um, I don't know how I'm doing on time. <laughs> We've got some time. Okay. Where am I? That's right. So the devil comes to isolate us and to disqualify us. In that moment in Columbia, I was in this place where, uh, where you know, I was devastated. And so the devil came and isolated me. All, the whole rest of the team by this point had already flown back home. And I was the last person on the, on the team apart, aside from the leaders that was still there. And so I had no place else to go. 
And I think that's where that flesh, that idea in my head was saying, hey, just reschedule. Just talk to him another time. I, I believe that that was the enemy saying, hey, look, you're not in the state to be talking to somebody. Um, and he's tr- he was trying to isolate me from, from something that I needed, that community. He was trying to isolate me ultimately from Jesus. And he, he had succeeded in disqualifying me or in me be- believing that I was disqualified to do ministry in Columbia. Uh, he had succeeded in me thinking that you're not qualified to do ministry. Um, and in Robert's question, posing that question, if Jesus were to walk into the room, re, like, re- shifted my perspective in saying, um, you know, Ryan, you need to think about if Jesus were to walk in the, into the room, he doesn't want you to look away. He's going to come and he's going to wrap you up in his arms and he's going to be there for you. Whatever you need, he's going to be that person that you need. So I, 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 I want to tell one more story. It's my last story. I promise, Howard. This is my one chance to preach. I got to give Howard a hard time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, have, has, have any of you heard of Don Quixote de La Mancha? Um, the, the old film with, uh, with O'Toole, um, what's it, Peter? Peter O'Toole, that's right. From, oh, yeah, 1972, got it in my notes. Um, so he, he, does this, he does this movie uh, where he's Don Quixote. It's a Spanish, it's a Spanish story, and uh, he's this knight in shining armor, and he sees these massive windmills and mistakes them as giants and tries to fight these windmills because he thinks that they're giants. Um, but that's not the part of the story that I want to, share. The part of the story I want to share is, is this part of the, the, the woman who, uh, whose name is Aldonza, Aldonza, if you will. Um, Aldonza, is, she's a, um, a Spanish girl, and, um, and she has a reputation that she's slept with everybody in, within the prison. Um, sometimes she would do it for money. Other times she would do it for just sheer pleasure. And, uh, and, and Don Quixote rides in uh, on, on just being the, the epic knight that he is and is immediately captivated by Aldonza and just, just falls in love with her. And he, and he doesn't call her Aldonza, he calls her Dulcinea, which means uh, my sweet one or my lady. Um, and so I'm going to read a, a short description, and I've got it on the slides, uh, and you can read along with me. Um, and this is, what, this is what Don Quixote, this is how he describes uh, the appearance of Aldonza. Um, her name is Dulcinea, her country, El Toboso, a village of La Mancha. Her rank must be at least that of a princess, since she is my queen and lady, and her beauty superhuman, since all the impossible and fanciful at- attributes of beauty which the poets apply to their ladies, are verified in her. For her hairs are gold, her forehead Elysian fields, her eyebrows rainbows, her eyes suns, guys take notes, her cheeks roses, her lips coral, her teeth pearls, her neck alabaster, her bosom marble, her hands ivory, her fairness snow, 
and what modesty conceals from such sight, uh, I think and imagine, as rational reflection can only extol, not compare. Um, I read that and I was like, wow, that is incredible. What a way. Ladies, by show of hands, who would like to be described this way? I mean, come on. <laughs> who would like their man just to walk in and say, my fair Dulcinea, your hair is like gold. See, that's why I give you a hard time, Howard. Um, no, but, I, I, you know, I, I see going back to when Jesus, when people would spend time with Jesus, they wanted to be described this way. And Jesus would call out their true identity. He would call out that their true purpose. He was rekindling this fire in their hearts. He was re, uh, reviving this hunger that they had to know their true purpose that moment that God knew them before they were even born, before they were even brought into this world, there was this communion. There was this intimate relationship between ourselves and God. And this process of life is this journey that we, that we have to rekindle that flame, to rekindle and revive that, that, that thing that it is, that communion, communion that we have with God to reinstate that relationship with God in a way that it is intimate and pure to where when Jesus walks into the room, we don't feel shame, we don't feel fear, or we're not feeling angry, but we feel hope and we feel love and we feel, um, what's the word? Just being with him. We just feel that being with him is enough. With that, if everybody could just uh, bow your heads and close your eyes with me, I'll close. So if this, if this, I, I pray that this message is spoken to somebody in this room. Um, Maybe you're going through a situation where you feel like you need to uh, know what God is thinking. And, and, and I encourage you that in this moment, just where, right where you are, if Jesus uh, in flesh walked through the doors like just the same way that you walked into the room, if, if, if he did that, what would your reaction be? How would you feel emotionally? How would you feel? How would you react physically? Would you, uh, would you run and hide? Would it bring a smile to your face? Would you cry? Would you avoid eye contact like I, like I did? What would you do? What would your reaction be? And, 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 and just use this imagery as a, as a starting place to measure where you are with your intimacy with the Father, where you are in, in your journey to rekindle this flame, to reinstate this relationship and this communion with the Father. Yeah, so Father, I just thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for this opportunity um, to speak. And Lord, I just pray that in this, in this moment, you would speak to us clearly. You would speak to our hearts and Father, if this is a journey that, 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 that somebody hasn't taken a step, 
Father, I would encourage you to help them take that step, to step into that, um, that process of learning more about you, of drawing near to you, just like the sinners of the, 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 that sat at the same table with Jesus. Yeah, Father, I thank you so much. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.